from Profit Well Recur. It's Protect the Hustle, B-Side, where Patrick Campbell and Neil Desai share their takes on this week's global developments. This week, the duo discussed the stunning news about Banjo's CEO, WeWork's hypothetical growth, as well as some wins and fails, both external and internal. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is another episode of Protect the Hustle, the B-Sides. You've got Neil Desai here, also with Patrick Campbell. And today we've got a heavy, heavy topic. We're talking about everything from SoftBank and tech and VC to even the KKK. And so, uh, I like you say, right like even, even the KKK when the KKK is like the central the tenant of the story, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us, tell us what happened. This is, I mean, I don't mean to make light of it. I think it's like so insane that I just nervously laugh, you know, when we start talking about it, but like, what's t- tell us, cause we're talking about Banjo CEO, mm-hmm. uh, Damien and Banjo is, and this is what makes this so funky as well. Banjo is a, an app, a security app, um, or product, I should say, that basically helps uh, law enforcement um, with early detection using social media as well as uh, camera footage. But their CEO recently got into some hot water after some some news from the past basically was unearthed. Grew up in California, um, mm-hmm. very abusive home, um, ran away from home, I think when he was 16, like right around then, like 15, 16. Um, and from the ages of 15 to 18, like belonging is such an important thing, right? And this is why yep. uh, most of the time gangs, hate groups, et cetera, they like to recruit kids from broken homes because like it's one of those things where they're looking for that sense of belonging. They're looking for that community, right? So he meets a member of the KKK um, or I, I don't know the exact group, but, but a hate group, um, a very like big hate group in Tennessee. So he moves to Tennessee, joins up with this group becomes, you know, what can only be described as a white supremacist. He's involved and it's a little sketchy, like how this all went down, like whether he was aware that there was going to be the shooting, whether he was just in the car and following directions for a guy saying, hey, go turn here, turn there, but was definitely involved at the age of 17 in a shooting where as they're driving by a synagogue, um, basically this, this, this leader sitting next to him pulls out a gun and shoots a bunch of rounds into the synagogue. Um, thankfully, no one was hurt. Obviously, it's still a hate crime, right? Mm-hmm. At the age of 17, he was just the driver, which I don't know, like, matters either. Um, he was the driver. Basically, they um, come looking for him. I believe it was the FBI mm-hmm. came looking for him. Um, the leader of the the group um, basically gives him $500 and paints his car black with spray paint and says, get out of here. So he escapes. Um, and then goes and joins the Navy, of all things, and then basically has 32 years of um, history where he wasn't as involved. Like, he kind of denounced his past, um, clearly embarrassed by his past. Left, he did have some, it sounds like when he was in the Navy, some associations with some white supremacists. Um, but came came back and actually testified about the situation was sentenced, but redu- had some reductions because he essentially turned on the rest of the folks in the in the shooting and in the hate group. And then was, I think, sentenced to like basically a commuted sentence where like he didn't actually go to prison. And then in the past like 30 years has been like, you know, 
basically an upstanding member of the community, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, he works in, he worked for NASCAR as a, as a mechanic after the Navy. I think he had a couple other jobs and then he started working for like crime scene investigation and they came up with this idea for Banjo to basically help crime scene investigations where, you know, you can use um, footage and social media to like detect like fires earlier, like car fires, which are really common, unfortunately, and, and a couple of other things. And then took money from SoftBank, raised two hundred seven million dollars, and then all of a sudden, in in a crazy turn of events, this never showed up on background checks because the FBI agent who booked him or who was the lead investigator they spelled his name wrong. They spelled Damien with an O, not with an E, at the end, and so it never showed up, right? Right. Um, and I don't know how um, the the news organization who discovered this found it, but basically they found it and it was revealed that, you know, obviously mm-hmm. this was his past. And then he issued a statement saying, hey, like, obviously I was an idiot when I was 17. I was sentenced and I, you know, went through the justice system, all this other stuff. But that that was my past. Right. I just yeah. I think it's really important to lay out every single detail here as much as we can, because I don't think it's as as simple as he was a part of a hate group. Sure. Um, and now he's a CEO of a SoftBank back company. I think that's the sensationalist, like media, like let's just get clicks headline. Um, mm-hmm. Although the article, um, it was on Oz. I, I can't remember the. the yeah, we'll, the we'll link the, the the article down. The, in the original show publication. I thought they did a really good job, and they put his whole statement in there and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think this opens up a couple of questions, and, and this is what I think why we wanted to talk about this. So, one, is there a path of redemption? Like mm-hmm. for a human, right? <laughs> right. Just um, in general. Like just in general. We're in the midst yeah. of cancel culture. Like this guy has clearly shown decades, um, at least from our understanding, right? And there might be more information that comes out, but it doesn't appear to be that way. Um, mm-hmm. From our understanding, he has shown decades of remorse. And it. I at least feel like it's somewhat understandable, like how, like not excusable, but like somewhat understandable of like how he got into this, this mess when he was in his late teens. So that's an interesting question. And then the other question is, regardless of that road of redemption, you know, forgive, not forget, like, should this type of person be given some government contracts around surveillance and security software? Right. Yep. One of the things that came up in our conversation. So like my past background working in the intelligence community, if I had smoked pot once or had bad credit, I wouldn't have been able to get a security clearance. And I don't think he absolutely needs a security clearance for the type of software he sells because it's all anonymized and everything like that. But it's still a question like, you know, do these types of things, yeah. no matter how forgivable they may be, um, and I'm not saying they're necessarily forgivable, like, should that still like allow you to get certain things? Or is it kind of like, hey, sorry about circumstance, right. but we just can't, you know, give this to you. And I think that extends into like his funding, if, you know, his team working for him, especially if this comes out, right? It presents an interesting question to the folks around him and, and the association they have with him. Well, and what's kind of interesting too, so he's in Utah. So we just mm-hmm. opened up our Salt Lake City office. And what's kind of fascinating, the community here is really tight. And obviously, you know, for, you know, the stereotypes are not true at all, but like there's a, you know, there is a large Mormon population here, LDS population. And so what was really kind of fascinating is a lot of the CEOs that I meet um, who are deeply religious folks um, and, you know, don't have tolerance for hate or these types of things. You know, this is the guy that they've, a lot of them, like before this even happened, were like, oh yeah, you got to meet Damien. Like really good member of the community does this really cares about X, Y, Z. And this is a guy who also, when he would go give talks, he would talk about his like troubled upbringing um, and overcoming it. He was a really big inspiration to a lot of folks. He didn't talk a lot about, he didn't talk at all about like the KKK element, um, you know, probably for obvious reasons. But it's, it's also one of those things where, like, does that matter, right? Like, would he have to have talked about Because there's plenty of people, like, you know, sure. we applaud people who go into tattoo parlors and for free get their, you know, tattoos removed of, of hate groups and things like that. 
but I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what do you think on these two questions? You're, I think you're a little more woke than I am. So like, I'm oh, really curious, a, especially the, the first. Part. That's true. That's true. I know. Uh, so actually funny timing at this weekend, I just saw a movie called Jojo Rabbit. It's a satire on, um, you know, the, the, the Hitler and the Nazi regime. And I think one thing that was really interesting is just the indoctrination of, of young people, right? It gave me a different perspective on uh, when, when folks are at a really young age, and in, in, in particularly folks who are vulnerable at a young age, right, are very susceptible to becoming indoctrinated with things that they otherwise may not have, right? So I, I think from that perspective, I'm very understanding that it's not out of bounds that a 17-year-old kid who had a troubled past could have gotten caught up in these types of things. At the same time, in my mind, I want to separate that from anything we feel like he deserves now. Understanding all the facts, understanding the perspective, and, and there's certainly a path for redemption for, for everyone. Um, but it, it, I'm not quite at the point where I, I think like things can be normal and, and SoftBank should fund him and we should all go work for him. Right. I, I think I'm still I'm still trying to reconcile that piece in my mind. So it's interesting because this opens up an interesting line of questions. Right. Because you're, you're basically cause again, we're talking 30 years. Right. Like, yeah. And let's just assume and, and we don't have evidence to the contrary, but like, let's just assume he did this when he was 17. He ran away into the Navy. Since then, he's he's basically said that that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that, which which yep. if, if we believe his word, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's the truth. And obviously, there's trouble believing the word. So you're saying even now you're like, ah, I don't want to work. I don't know if I want to work for a guy who has that past. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not saying it's out of, out of question. I think for me, I need to see. So talk is cheap, right? I think I'd want to hear more mm-hmm. on how how did he try to help the people that he was, you know, uh, oppressing in some way, shape or form in, in his past. Right. Mm-hmm. Did he I, I know he's been an upstanding citizen in terms of the law since then. But has he tried to give back to these groups? Has he tried to understand how they've been uh, targeted in the past? Has he tried to work with mm-hmm. organizations that, that that help these folks? And, and those are the things that I think bring about redemption, not just a sense of regret. And, and you know, but does time. redemption have to involve helping a group you've wronged? Right. Cause like, cause I want to like, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not asking, I'm asking that to challenge. I'm not asking that. Yeah, to, yeah, like, yeah. I believe one way or the other. Cause I think it's a really interesting point. I think that like, does redemption involve like that? That's what's so fascinating is like, sure. you're, you're basically like, here's my road. This is the road to redemption that I expect out of a person who does this. Right. And I have, I think I have a little bit more of an existential of like, okay, listen, like it's probably circumstantial. Mm-hmm. If I, before I would work with someone like this, I'd want to have a conversation about it, I guess. Um, like I'm just thinking out loud and like, you know, determine from there, like use my best judgment. I, mean, like, I, think, you, I think, I think realistically the, the, what, how we see the road to redemption probably varies among all of us. Right. I mean, there's no, yeah. Like, this is why we all talk about the justice system and how it fails. Like, it's not really like everyone, everyone probably has a different perspective on, on what it means to redeem oneself. I think for me, and and there's this is probably not the only way to redeem yourself, but it would go a long way to try to help the groups that you've wronged in the past. Right. And, And I'm saying that's the only way, but that would, that would mean, that would mean a lot for me, at least. In, in, in sort of how I'm assessing this. But presumably, presumably he, he didn't do actual time, but he did his time from a justice like system perspective. Like he was sentenced and he, I think they, they community sentence, which I mean, the, a judge like made mm-hmm. that decision, right. Based on the yeah. circumstance. I mean, and I, I don't think that redemption is purely a legal like sure. aspect, but yeah, that's what, that's, what's kind of interesting about this. Like, like to me, it's, it's, this goes into the questions of like, we've all done terrible things. 
Now, it's all very relative what terrible is. <laughs> like, you know, I've done things that I'm definitely embarrassed by, like in my youth, and I haven't, you know, done anything legally problematic, but there's there's a little bit of varying degrees and it becomes really, really difficult to kind of like figure it out. And one thing that was interesting that reminded me of this was one of the Columbine conspirators, because he participated when he was a minor, he was tried as a minor, and he he's just a member of society now. Right. Mm. And I found that out this weekend and it was just kind of interesting because like this is someone who very actively, you know, in his youth, you know, and, and again, similar, like probably circumstance, he did his time and then has done his road to redemption. And so I don't know. And, and then it goes to like, you know, to, to take a little bit of the sensationalism out of it, like, you know, people with records, like, should they be allowed to have jobs? Yeah. And, and it's actually funny. I feel very strongly that, right, like ex-felons and, and folks that, that have records should have full rights from voting to working rights and, and et cetera. So it, it's it's interesting you bring that up. And I think it's important to separate. But well, that's like, the woke perspective, right? I, a road to I redemption on certain things is right. No. no so, so, so I think it's I'm important to separate. Here. I, know, I know you are. I, I know you're better. I think it's important to separate, like, the legal element and the justice system from, like, is this someone that you want to march behind from your work, right? And, and that's why for me, it's like, all right, like the, the justice system is going to do its thing. It has a lot of shortcomings. I mean, like the FBI spelled the guy's name wrong and and that, he didn't come up in background checks for years because of that, right? Well, so presumably, some deep, yeah, yeah. Presumably, yeah. That's... So deeply flawed justice system and, and you know, folks a lot smarter than us are trying to work on improving that. But, but I think at the same time, is this someone that I'd want to dedicate 50, 60 hours a week to? Um, and, and helping build a business. At least in my mind, those are slightly diverging things. So do you think he should have disclosed this over the past 30 years? That's tough. I mean, especially today. It's like, yeah. what's hard, well, what's hard with that is not even like the reaction today. It's just like, what's relevant, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I clearly can't tell you what I did at the NSA. Right. 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 And like, you know, you could use your imagination. And like, if you watch too many movies, you could be like, holy cow, Patrick was doing terrible yeah. things. Right. And it's like, you know, maybe my job was also just boring as hell. Right. You know, so it's like one of those things that I think that the disclosing aspect gets really kind of interesting because it's yeah. like, I don't, especially over 30 years, right. This isn't like, you know, a couple of years ago that this was like a situation, yeah. right. And he was a kid. Like I, I definitely have empathy towards that. Don't get me wrong. Like, right. Like I, I 100% think that, um, young people are susceptible to these things for better or for worse. So yeah. it, it's, it's tricky in a lot of dimensions. Um, and interesting, especially in our like tech community. But even if we assume like he was actually like not just a kid susceptible, right? Which I think is probably yeah. the most likely case. Like, let's just assume he was, he actually believed these things, which at the time he probably, that's what he probably felt. Right. Yeah. But let's assume like he actually felt these things. And then over the next 30 years, like learned that he was wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's what gets so interesting. Right. Because I think there's so many people who, um, and there's some people I talked about at the story who were just like. Yeah, like never, never should work with him, like should be canceled, blah, 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 just because he had this affiliation, right? And then on the other side, there are people who are like, this doesn't matter at all, right? Like, let's forgive people. Let's not bring up 30 years ago, et cetera. So that's, that's where I think that like, I think the road to redemption, it's kind of like, whenever I try to think about this, I think about like my kids that don't exist, but like that will <laughs> probably exist at some point. Yeah. It's like, if someone had wronged me in a certain way, like physically, like, could I forgive them? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Would I let them alone with my kids? Mm, probably not the first couple times, right? I'd have to yeah. rebuild trust, right? And so that's why I think it's like there's a forgive, you know, and that's where the circumstance, you know, kind of comes into play. I think what's more interesting to me, 
you know, which is probably not more interesting to other people who, you know, have really strong beliefs of any affiliation of any kind at any point in someone's life like this, um, is the legal aspect. Um, because a couple of these contracts, so in Indiana, they are one of the municipalities just canceled the contract right away. I think the rest of the state, they're re looking at things, um, in Utah here, um, they're already, we're going to do an audit. So it, it, it kind of was like mixed news. I looked at it this morning just to see if I could, you know, see the the most up to date information. They were going to do an audit of the system, like anyways, and now sure. they're going to they're going to push that audit up. And so it's not clearly going to be a canceled contract, but I don't know. It's super tough. I think that I, if I knew more about the software, I feel like I would be able to probably have a stronger opinion on like should someone with this like a Fed. I don't know if it's an official felony, but like clearly with a federal record yeah. should this person, I'm, I'm assuming it's a felony, but I, I, again, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Should that person be allowed to get certain government contracts? I think for certain government contracts, yes. You know, given the road to redemption and, you know, like, you know, that we were kind of talking about, but I think that if it was something that had to do with like a heavy security clearance, maybe not. Totally. And, and it's interesting that you bring up the gut. Cause like the government funding adds an interesting, like these are taxpayer dollars, right? Like this is, this is, this is money that's coming from everyone. Whereas like SoftBank is obviously a private, private, organization and the soft bank angle is what I'm most <laughs> I don't want to say bothered by but I'm most like intrigued by and not in a positive way because like this is another person that had something deep in their record or something yeah. like that that just wasn't I, I don't know if they do background <laughs> like I don't, like, I don't <laughs> right. know like I don't know if they do anything and, and maybe it shouldn't have mattered right based on yeah. the other stuff that we said but the soft bank this is like another oh this is another person that has like let's just say questionable, like, like, yeah. like, like, let's not make a pure judgment, but just definitely a questionable past that, you know, they funded, which I think I, what most troubles me about this whole situation, and this probably isn't what should trouble me the most is just the hypocrisy in some of the people that I've talked to about this. Mm-hmm. Like people would be like, yes, felons should have a road to redemption. They should get the right to vote back all of these different things. Oh, this guy involved Nazis screw that. No. Nope. Where do you think like, that comes from? Where do you think yeah. that comes Because you and I talk a lot about this privately, right? Uh, on uh, young people and woke culture and cancel culture. And it's it's really tricky because I think people have seemingly good intentions. But wh- where do you think this hypocrisy comes from? Like that's probably an hour long conversation, but to like speed it up as much as humanly possible. I think it comes from one, anything to do with like Nazis, neo-Nazis. It's like, that's just, it's, it's just so sensitive. It's kind of like the N word. It's like, Every other word we're probably willing to like say in some context of like describing, but like that word, it's just like, it's in this own special class. Right. And so I think that anything involving and and for obvious, hopefully obvious reasons, right. Right. You're you're not Um, saying that it shouldn't be. I mean, there's, there's a longer conversation about language and everything, but like, you know, we've had this conversation, right. Just because, you know, we've had situations at the office where people are like, you know, don't say this word. And it's like, oh, like we don't want to be in the business of that. But then when it comes to, and then all of those conversations always lead to, but what about the N word? And then the N word is kind of like, yeah, that word's, it's kind of, let's just not even have that conversation. It's kind of like in its own class, right? And so I think that, you know, anything to do with like KKK and like that, and I think it's just because like, you know, it, it's, it's not even because of contemporary means. I think even like 15 years ago before like a lot of the woke stuff, I still would be really uncomfortable with it. Like maybe in my youth, I'd be more like shock value, right? Because when you're a kid, you like make stupid jokes and things like that. But like, even then I'd be like, Ugh, those guys with the hoods, no thank you, right? Yeah. But I think that a lot of this hypocrisy comes from, you know, words... Words have feelings now, and they are, in a lot of people's minds, they are basically weapons, right? Mm -hmm. And identity politics, 
for better and for worse. Um, I think that, you know, we've talked about this. My feeling is, it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with like some of the solutions being proposed, but I agree with like the ability to storm and yell and all these things, because I think it's part of like grief, especially when it comes to like black lives matter and these types of things. So I think it comes from like the rise of identity politics. And then also like, you know, words are now like equivalent to guns right now. I don't agree with all of those sentiments, um, and I think that some of those sentiments are misguided, but again, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's one of those things where people should really check like their hypocrisy on some of this stuff and really kind of understand like, Hey, this is how we should structure this. This is how we should structure that. And this is how we should approach situations like this. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think part of it too is like we have, it's the forum in which we have these conversations, right? It's when you and I talk about this over a three hour long car ride, it's different than Twitter, like tweeting back and forth on headlines. Right. And there's tons of virtue signaling going on online. There's reading only headlines. There's not really understanding all the facts. And, and I think that contributes to some of this stuff. Right. Um, where, well, that's folks, why it was so important yeah. to me that like, I spent the like three, five minutes just being like, here is everything that we know. That we right? know. Yeah. And it could change, but because here's what it, we know. So it far. makes it yeah. not black and white. Right. Yeah. And, and most of these, like, it's rare that situations are black and white. And, and most of the time, any black and white situations, those are situations that involve body counts, right? Like, and thankfully, there's a lot of non-black and white, you know, decisions mm-hmm. out there and like situations. I, I think, I don't know. And that's why, like, again, like even with, um, and I love a lot of the like retrospectives on the Me Too movement in this way, right, as well, because it's like, yeah, did part of it go too far? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's obvious in certain places, but did the overall thing push us in the better direction? A hundred percent, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone can disagree with that. And I think that what I always have trouble with is like on both both sides, right? And there's not like a clear what sides what in this situation. Like, is is we shouldn't we should be careful not to allow the extremes um, and the examples of the extremes take us away from the push of the norm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really important point where a lot of times it's like, well, what about this like situation where this thing happens and this happens and then that happens and that happens. And it's like, okay, well in that situation, like we probably will have to look at the circumstantial like information around, um, that situation. But for the most part, like let's not make a decision off of this like very big exception. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's some, that's, that's one of those things that's really hard with stuff like this is that like, you know, we know most of the facts, but there's so many like colors and shapes to the facts that's really, really hard to like ascertain. Like, Hey, is this like right down the middle black and white on, right. you know, this axis or that axis? Yeah, I, I think I agree. And, and ultimately it's up to each of us to have our own here, like, you know, tolerance level and, and framework on how we want to like make decisions around our, our lives, our careers, et cetera, on, on things like this. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, that's what's so, I mean, (laughs) COVID obviously puts a huge wrench in that, but I think that's, what's so interesting about like modern day. And this is probably another reason is like, there's, there's not a lot of struggle out there. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there's a lot of struggle. Don't get me wrong. Like, don't, don't take that out of context, but like there, there's for most millennial folks, like if these are the things that we're complaining about, that's not great, but it's okay we at least are in a place where we're not worried and we have a little bit more choice, like with the jobs we work at, like you don't have to work for sure. someone who has this context or this past or something like that. Or does, I, cha- you know, I challenge you on the product. word complain. Uh, but, but I do, uh, there's I a do lot agree. of complaining. 
Like I, it's objective. I, uh, like I, that is an objective thing that there's more complaining now. Like you, like it, it doesn't matter what type of complaining, like with Twitter, with other social media, et cetera. Sure, like there's more I, complaining than ever. Someone like going for like, you know, reducing marginalization. I'm not saying they're complaining, but okay. I'm saying. Okay, no, no, I just want to make that clear. Yeah, ever. sure. There's more complaining than ever. And, and there's, we can, we, we can talk about why, but sure. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I also think millennials are the reason we're pushing the conversation forward in a lot of these things. I feel like while the, the, the platform might not be right all the time, I think we are pushing the envelope on some of these things, but in some ways I think we're pushing like, and keep in mind, you and I are on the tail ends of millennials. So like, yeah. I don't know. I think that sometimes we push it way too far, but I, I, to, I yeah, I, I see your overall point that like we are privileged to be having a lot of these conversations because we're not worrying about the basics, right? Especially in the tech community. Yeah. Here's a really good example. And I don't want to, again, you know, go against my previous point of like using extreme to, to talk about the norm, but plastic straws, mm-hmm. right? I have a metal straw right now in this thing, right? Now, like a, when like that happened, no, 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 it's not because I'm woke. It's because <laughs> someone gave it to me and it works out really well in the kitchen. But are we better off without plastic straws in the world? Yeah, probably, right? Was it a top concern that we should have had as many campaigns? And I think Santa Barbara like criminalizes having plastic straws with like offenses of tent, like not, like no joke, jail time per straw, right? Like that was that was the maximum offense. And I don't think anyone ever got anywhere near that in terms of, of, of an actual like sentencing. But it's like, no, because when you look at the facts, it's not even in the top 50, right? Or, or mm-hmm. And I have to check, like, it's, but it's not one of the top, like, concerns. But again, the world is better off without it, so, like, does it matter? Like, probably, because when we sensationalize these things, we desensitize ourselves to reality. And not to get too soapboxy, but, like, everything that's been happening, like, you know, I can't even look at CNN anymore. Like, 10 years ago, I looked at CNN because it was, like, kind of like the AP, but a little bit more opinion, a little bit more context, right? Like a little bit deeper than just the facts, right? Um, it gave a little more context. I can't look at CNN at all now because it's just all over the place, right? It's, it's, it's you know, I don't know if it's just as bad as Fox, but it's certainly like, you know, not not the, the news network of 10 years ago. And, and maybe that's okay. But it's like when we sensationalize these things, this is what creates the situation where now it's like, I can't even have like a rational conversation with certain folks because I'm not even rational in my opinion, because I've been shaped in certain ways by some of these things. Right. And when you multiply that by, you know, millions of people, all of a sudden it's like, now we just don't believe anything. Right. Which is terrible. Right. And that, that goes off on a whole different topic, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting the society that we're in right now. Um, which is probably the most, the largest understatement of the century. But I think it's one of those things that it'll be, it'll be fascinating how the, a lot of this stuff shakes out. Bringing it back to someone like Damien and Banjo, I don't want to be in a society where someone like that doesn't have a chance at redemption. Maybe he shouldn't be redeemed as we find out more facts and all these other things. I think most of the data and most of the information points to this, this person like did something wrong and has spent a lot of time recovering from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the legal and soft bank stuff, like that's a little more outstanding, but let's let people who are smarter than us, you know, or at least more involved than us, I should say, like handle that. Yep. But I don't want to be in a society that like there is no path to redemption. And I think that there's a lot of people who disagree with that sentiment. And, and that's what's, you know, a little scary to me. That's tough. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I, th- I think to close the loop on our like two original questions, I think couldn't agree more. There should be a path to redemption for for pretty much anything. For me, though, the the, the, the more important thing is like, what does that restorative justice process look like? And and how can someone in the eyes of like society at large redeem themselves? But I, I, I think I, I agree and I'm on the same page uh, 
around providing a path to redemption for everyone. The second part of, of should they get government funding? Should they get soft bank funding? These things are a little bit more tricky for me. And I don't know if I have to learn more or hear from the guy or you know see what he's been up to these last 30 days. But for me, I still think I have a higher standard for if I would, if I would go work for this person myself. Yeah. And I yeah. think you should be allowed to have that. Yeah. Um, now, again, should he have been up front? Like, I don't, like, I think that's a little arrogant to think like mm-hmm. you're entitled to like certain pieces of information, but maybe now that this is out, you know, anyone at Banjo should be able to go to him and be like, Hey, like, I want to sit down and talk about this a little bit to determine if I still want to work here. Yeah. You know, which still might feel a little entitled, but like, I think that that's, you know, in, in, in a tech company context, I think that's totally fine. You want to talk about some lighter stuff? Let's do it. Let's talk about WeWork. <laughs> oh, man. WeWork. Uh, I found I, out this week. So massive layoffs again. Yeah. Um, which, duh, like this is a tough time, even <laughs> even, even with like their, their, their cash. Um, but my favorite part about it is if you are not part of the layoff, meaning you are, are going to continue, well, pseudo continue to have your job, you have to re-interview for your job. Um, which at first glance, again, it's like, oh, this is ridiculous. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, if I was a PE person trying to like save this burning fire of crap, like this probably makes sense, right? Like have, have a, have a little speed bump, have a little reset, have just kind of like, Hey, like it's, it's (laughs) the culture shot already. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's one of those things in like rebuilding the culture, almost having like a complete reset on like. Hey, got a re-interview. Although it's, I don't know, it's a little condescending. I, I just, I can't imagine some of those interviews, but there's probably going to be, I, I mean, I would hope there's going to be some documentation and some like different standards yeah. and these types of things just to make sure that like people are coming out. But what do you, what do you think of that? Well, first, just logistically, like is every level of management and employee interviewing, like is the CEO re-interviewing the exec team and the exec team re-interviewing middle management? Like just logistically, right? Like this, this, That's this interesting. Deal, I don't know. Is everyone re-interviewing, right? Like what does that even look like? And, and, and so logistically this seems like a nightmare, but Hey, we work has bigger challenges to solve. Right. I still crack up over that hypothetical, uh, EBITDA chart. Um, Oh, that, that was that soft bank deck. Yeah. yeah the soft yeah. bank deck, uh, for, for we work. Um, and then, yeah, I, you know, I've talked to some friends that have left WeWork recently and couldn't be happier. So, you know, fingers crossed they figure their stuff out because I, I, I think they play an important role in the ecosystem. But man, I, I am, I am not jealous of the, the, the team over there right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. And there's obviously been a lot of layoffs um, over the past couple of months. I think that the one thing that gives me, again, most charitable interpretation for WeWork is it's it's a crap show, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fun to like, you know, it's fun to, to pile on, but, um, it's one of those things where there's now a group of people, um, you know, allegedly, and this might be giving a little, way too much forgiveness is like a group of people are trying to like salvage it. Yep. Right. And they're salvaging it, you know, for, for obviously, you know, incentives and monetary reasons, but also for, you know, Hey, there's a lot of people who do work there still, even after these layoffs, there's still a lot of people. And so, yeah, it'll be really kind of fascinating. This was like probably the worst time to have a global pandemic for WeWork. Like oh, it's absolutely. not a good time for anybody, right. but for WeWork especially. especially, like this yeah. is like this could not have been written in a book like more more like poetically. What's interesting too is we're gonna leave this pandemic with a really good playbook of just like how to do this stuff. Cause like every company is how to lay people the, off. How to lay people off, yeah. Cause right, like yeah. you, you see the Airbnbs of the world, you see the 
the birds of the world. Uh, and, and I think, uh, it's yeah. a first for a lot of this Those are generation stark differences. Yeah. Very stark differences. Right. So, so we, we've definitely got to see up close, right. The, how to humanely do this and, and, and help folks, you know, uh, leave, leave softly. Wages are going to go down a bit, which is kind of scary because wages weren't, I mean, tech wages were going up, but like, I think just similar to valuations are going to be a little bit of a reset. People are going to probably be a little more skittish. I, I don't know. I see one of two paths, especially with like the millennial now the Gen Z generation, it's like, we already kind of were pretty, I'm not going to stay somewhere for 10 years. I'm going to like hop around, you know, there's like obviously exceptions, but it's like one of those things where now it's like, are they going to want to stay more because of stability? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Or are they going to be like, screw it. I'm going to go be a YouTuber because I don't want to have like a lack of control over, you know, my, my focus. So I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fascinating. I do. I do think Airbnb did really, really well with this. I think I read an article saying uh, Gen Z is looking for much more stability than like millennials who are free spirited and want to be a part of the gig economy. So I, I could, I could totally see that happening. I've seen conflicting stories about Gen Z being a lot more conservative. Yeah. There's very few people who are socially conservative anymore. I think, mm-hmm. um, like truly socially conservative, maybe personally, they're like, I wouldn't get an abortion or I wouldn't, you know, yeah. do X, Y, Z, but from a legal perspective, like libertarian, you know, that type of thing. So I think it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating, like the definitions of conservatism and things like this, I think are going to change a little bit because yeah. I think you do see there's a good group of like young folks of all races and and ethnicities who are, you know, being a little more conservative because, you know, they, they didn't like, you know, some of the fiscal policies that have been passed Now We could argue they're not old enough to understand, but that's a little condescending. And so it'll be interesting how this all shakes out. Right. All right. So let's wrap this up. Neil wins and fails. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Things off. What's a win this week? A win this week. I've been loving uh, the new masterclass series that folks at ProfitWell have been hosting. Um, yesterday, oh. Danielle <laughs> you said on our masterclass, team. and I was like, "What? What's this masterclass?" And now I know what you're talking about. Ex- explain it for the people, though. They're amazing. Danielle and her marketing team hosted a extremely thorough and in-depth. Uh, workshop on food photography because we have this Slack channel called Cooking in Quarantine and everyone's photos suck except hers. So she gave us a rundown on how to, and by the way, she has like a legit blog on Boston food and restaurants and, and things like that. So last yeah, week we had one on Boston plant. Brunch uh, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. So these have been great. Uh, everything from plant parenting to food photography. We've been going super, super deep into uh, topics like that. And I've been, I've been loving it to stay connected with folks while at home. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know. I think it's, yeah, they've, they've been very helpful. I, I was impressed at how deep both plant parenting and food photography went. They were very informational, no, nothing like uh prof to, to go all in, which is really good. Um, I think, uh, I'll be a little more tactical, uh, big win this week I thought was, um, so basically in the past week, uh, we launched the Profwell index. So anyone for free can basically get daily tracking of what's going on, um, you know, in the B2B markets, the DTC markets, et cetera. And so it's been really, really good to basically, you know, understand, like, should we be freaking out? Should we not? Uh, and to me, the win is, is basically all markets are showing signs of recovery, which is great. So basically B2B markets, they were flat. Now they're going back up. D2C markets, they took a pretty big downturn um, overall. Um, not every part of the market was going down, uh, but now the whole market's going back up. And so time will tell, like, is this just a local recovery or is this something where it's a little bit more longstanding? 
thing. But yeah, I think long story short, um, that's that's a good win, not only for that index, but also the actual data that's coming out of it as well. All right. How about losses, Neil? Give me a loss. All right. So I think I'm going to have to go with still all of the misinformation and confusion around like our response to, to COVID, right? You see people on Twitter using masks with holes in them because it's easier to breathe that way. Um, people still won't, you know. Wait, won't. people, someone said, someone cut a hole in their mask, yeah. so it was easier to, oh. oh. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay. So you have that going on, right? I mean, we're getting to a point now where even Boston is enforcing mask or face coverings, right, in, in places where you can't socially distance. So, And then there's all the, you know, re- when should we reopen? Are we really flattening the curve? Does it matter? Et cetera, et cetera. So, um you know, I think this is something that we see constantly, but folks not really understanding what the data means and uh, having a, you know, responsible public health official response. So I think that's my mm-hmm. that's my loss of the week is ongoing confusion and chaos with um, well, how it's we also, should response. It's also this whole miscommunication around flatten the curve doesn't mean zero cases. Yeah. It just meant that we're trying to flatten out the cases like the area under the curve, the flat curve and the spike curve is the same area. Uh, so that's, that, that's what's been interesting. And I don't know, I can't, part of me wants to be like, yeah, this is a huge loss, but also I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, I can't imagine being in a situation where you're trying to communicate this and trying to get yeah. people to understand. And then ultimately trying to get people to not do dumb things. I think, I think for the vast majority of folks, they're being smart, um, especially if they're able to, I mean, we, we've been loosely talking about when the office opens up, but we're in such a position where you know, we could do this for six months if we really wanted to. Right. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I think my loss today, uh, the jobs numbers this week, I think it was another, the seven week tally is 33 million. Um, so another 3 million jobless. And that's just, uh, the market's up though. So that's fascinating. <laughs> but, uh, I think, yeah, I, I think that, um, I think it's because most people believe these jobs are going to come back quickly. And so I, I hope most companies out there are going to do right by their teams and try to, to, to not lay people off unless they absolutely need to. And then on top of that, make sure that when those folks come back, it's not like there's undue hurdles and cutting salaries and these types of things just to kind of keep keep it so that it's like as, as recoverable as possible. But yeah, the jobs numbers are, are you know, obviously disheartening. And I'm hoping that um, we figure this stuff out soon because it's going to be another at least nine months of this. Um, you know, I think the earliest vaccine is going to be 2021. Obviously, there's, there's going to be more deaths. Um, that's just a fact of life. But I'm hoping that what happens with like the hospitals and things like that is we're in a position where the curve is flat and then basically we can, you know, just keep moving forward. So yeah, we will, we will see. Well, that's all for another episode of Protect the Hustle, the B-Sides. If you like this episode, you got some value from it, please go out on Twitter, share it. Um, If you disagree with some of the things we said, please let us know on Twitter as well so we can keep the conversation going. Um, And of course, if you have any other topics, you want to submit some news, want to submit some some, questions for us to answer, uh, feel free to just tag us on Twitter at Paticus or at Neil Desai. Um, And with that, have a good rest of the week, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been a Recurse Studios production, the fastest growing subscription network out there. If you find use for this show, subscribe for more like it at ProfitWell.com slash Recur.